0: Hello, this is Rick Kite with the D.B. Reinhardt Institute for Ethics and Leadership. Our program is Ethics Today, and our topic is religion and politics. Our guest today is Scott Moore, who's a philosophy professor at Baylor University, and I had asked Scott to come and talk to us about what is going on in our society today, especially given the the response of different kinds of churches, and I think especially the evangelical church to uh, the different uh, stay-at-home orders from, from governors, um, and just try to negotiate this issue of, of what's going on in the intersection of religion and politics. So uh, Scott, thank you so much for joining us.
1: I'm very glad to be here, Rick, thank you.
0: So uh, I think it's fair to say evangelical Christians have been the most outspoken in their uh, resistance to some of the stay-at-home orders by governors, it's not every church, of course, but especially some, some churches. Um, what's at the root of this? For those of us who are not of the evangelical fold, is, what, what is going on there?
1: Well, the short, honest answer is we'd give worlds to know. Um, uh, it 's a complicated it 's a complicated question uh Rick in in lots of ways um, and um, the first part of my answer may seem a little bit contradictory uh, um, traditionally baptists and uh, and most evangelicals have had a very strong vision of the separation of church and state and um, historically, Baptists emerged out of the english separatists and uh, Various Puritan movements that were um, quite insistent on making the point that the church decides what the church is going to do, not the government. Uh, and and I think that that part of our heritage and that um, the, that that sense of of autonomy and self determination is still. Quite prevalent in lots of places. The difficulty, of course, is that this same crowd is often a, a group of people who have very strong beliefs about God and country and uh, very strong um, uh, beliefs about patriotism and uh, service to the nation. And so it doesn't take much imagination to see how these two can, can come into conflict in um, uh, in, a, in an easy way, so I think um, part of what's uh, part of what's at stake here is um, a, a sense of n- not wanting to be told what to do uh, with regard to uh, these matters, and I think there's also a, a part of our our culture war, and that is that lots of uh, evangelicals, particularly the more conservative evangelicals. Um, are um, are are very hesitant about the encroachment of um, social media, governmental agencies, telling the church what it can and cannot do. Well,
0: so in my understanding, from from what some of the governors have said, and I also think, for I would say, maybe kind of the liberal secular point of view that defenders of these orders are saying like look these restrictions on churches have nothing to do with religion and they'll point to incidences like the, the choir in Washington State where after choir practice several of the people maybe most of the people who attended that came down with COVID-19 and they say look this is about gathering together in close spaces speaking and singing for a long period of time um, this is just a public health matter. This is has nothing to do with religion. Um, is that right, or is that the wrong way to look at this?
1: Well, I mean, I I think um, I think it, at at one level, it's 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 probably right. Um, I I certainly concur with that judgment. I mean, personally, but. Um, but it's also the case that lots of people would want to say look just because the government says it's a personal health matter doesn't mean it's not a way to control behavior and belief i mean so um if you you think about any number of central religious practices which um have been deemed to be unhealthy and um are uh, opposed by various government and uh, intergovernmental agencies and these kinds of things. I mean, you think about um, uh, the Catholic prohibition on contraception. Uh, there are lots of people that would say, this is not a religious matter at all, this is simply a, a, a question about public health and uh, social goods. And, um, and that, um, that's a deeply, uh, a deeply held theological belief that's part of the a comprehensive theology of the body for Roman Catholics. And uh you can't separate those kinds of things out uh, on those those matters. I don't think that that really is at the heart of of all of the kind of opposition. Most of the opposition that we're seeing that gets characterized by um, um by the churches comes in two forms right One is about a question of of whether or not we're going to live in fear and I think that that uh Continuing to gather on the lord's day to go to church is um, and to to put one's hope and trust in God is um, a sign of of faithfulness and courage for lots of people and um and so to say that we're not going to go to church then we're not going to gather is uh is to be controlled by by fear i mean I have heard various people say look if uh um, you know if if christians in communist lands weren't afraid to gather in in churches when they knew they could be killed for it we shouldn't be afraid to gather because of uh, a disease i think it's a poor analogy in lots of ways but i think that 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 notion of fear and freedom are tied together for lots and lots of people
0: so and i think you're right i mean i'm that's certainly the kind of rhetoric that i've been hearing as i've been listening to people talk about this um the the idea of not wanting to live in fear is is an important one and, and um but uh, there's there's uh, it seems to me a kind of a profound disconnect here um with um uh, the, the idea of public health officials trying to say, well, there are things that we should legitimately be afraid of, and and take necessary precautions of it, doesn't mean that you're actually living in fear, but it's it's prudent precaution. Um, and churches are not immune to that. And yet, there are some surveys that have been done that show that there's a, a higher percentage of Christians and especially evangelical Christians who think God will protect them from. The virus and 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 is so is that part of this um, reaction to not wanting to live in fear is thinking that there's
1: that there's immunity
0: given by by faith.
1: Yeah, uh, I don't doubt that there are many people that that think that way, Um, and and I I would want to include myself in that category. Um, The Proviso, of course, is that God will protect me from disease. that doesn't mean that I won't get the disease um, I mean um, we've got a long a long history of recognizing that God's provision often comes through suffering, and so to put oneself in god's hands is to um to recognize that that may be the case now, I don't think that's the argument that you're typically getting, and I think in 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 lots of places. Um, uh, without being hopingly hope I'm not being too uncharitable here to um, my uh, brothers and sisters, the religious arguments are cover for a certain kind of cultural argument that says, I'm, I'm not going to have anybody tell me what to do. Right. Uh, And, um, and I think probably that's, that's part of what's um, going on in some of some of those categories, especially, when you you put this into the the larger context of the kind of um, deep frustration and culture wars that we we see now, um, a great deal of mistrust of the mainstream media and uh, the media have taken it upon themselves uh, to do their their duty here to spread the word to communicate all of these matters and and I have heard um, uh Many people complain about the kind of coverage that um, that the mainstream media is giving to to COVID nineteen. Now, I think this morning, you know, we're we've passed the ninety thousand uh, death number in this country. I mean, it deserves as much serious coverage and um, and medical advice as we can possibly get. But I think that. The religious arguments fuse in with a certain kind of cultural, independent freedom, argument,
0: and that. So I, I want to just put a little bookmark here that I want to come back to because partly what you're touching on is this, this reaction of one of not being not being afraid is is also an assertion of that we we value something much more important than just our physical being. Right. It's kind of a rejection of the kind of popular materialist culture right? we often find portrayed in the media also right um so but i want to put that aside for a second maybe come back to that because i think that's important but the other thing is the question of who has authority so um there the the state might have a legitimate interest in 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 our in public health and making certain kinds of requirements or even placing restrictions on our behavior. But the church is one place where we've kind of carved out a region. We said, like the, the authority of the of the state stops at certain places. One of those places it stops is at the church, right? Right. So who has who has authority? Does it does the state at, at certain times has like the authority to just say, well, in ordinary times we cannot make decisions for you how you will practice your religion how you will worship but in these extraordinary times where we're trying to stop community spread of a virus we can tell you you cannot gather and i i take it that that's what is going on there's an argument being made i don't know how it's being made legally but i think morally or ethically this is how it's being made that we can make these except, exceptions um at these extraordinary times. And how is that, is, is that recognized as a legitimate argument by many churches?
1: Um, Rick, I think it's gonna depend on the places, the people, and the traditions that are involved there. Um, if, um, if the local city officials mayors, representatives, um, even governors, are people that, that uh, parishioners have confidence in and are, and have a relationship with. I think being able to accept those kinds of notions, this is an extraordinary time and we need to take extraordinary precautions in this moment. I think, um, I think those are received quite well and quite enthusiastically. But if there's antagonism and if there's already uh, a fear that um, that the governmental authorities don't understand my community or that my, our tradition, uh, our neighborhoods are uh, not being cared for, then all of this simply adds, uh, adds fuel to the fire of a kind of antagonistic relationship that's going to be there. And I think that crosses all kinds of party uh, lines, uh, Democratic, Republican, all the way down the uh, the mayor of my city is uh, is, a, is a very fine man. Um, he's uh, you know he's an active member of a local church. Um, a friend of mine. We have I have I have full confidence in his ability to make good judgments. And when times get better, um, and um, and he says you know things are things are better. I'm fully willing and able to accept uh, his good judgment on those matters. I think that in most cases, though, certainly um, uh, as we think about this and as we generalize, most Christians, most evangelical Christians probably um, want to take advice rather than orders. and as long as we are told that this is the best thing that you should be doing that we recommend, people are far more inclined to follow it than if they are told that, um, groups of more than 10 cannot meet that you cannot do these things. Now, some of that is, um, is probably that free church tradition in my part of the country. Some of that is, uh, sort of, you know, Texas arrogance, uh, nobody's going to tell us what to do and what we, what we can do and what we can't do. Um, and, um, and it works itself out in lots of, lots of different, different ways. So I think, I, I think we can. The other point that I would, I would make here is that that notion of ordinary time and extraordinary time is always very dangerous, right? Because who decides when we've moved from ordinary time into extraordinary time? and who decides when the extraordinary time is over and what, uh, what would be involved in this. And so all of those are, are contested decisions and contested categories that people are going to be uh, involved with. I, in, in our region, we have had, uh, uh, mercifully, um, um, very, very few deaths. Uh, I, uh, I think our county, uh, here, McLennan County has had less than 100 cases and maybe four or five, four or five deaths. I'm, um, I live out in the country from outside of Waco and we're very close to the next county line. Um, and that county has only had six cases uh, in, in this whole, this whole time. Now it's a rural county and it's, uh, it's separated in lots of ways, but you can imagine the frustration by school officials and work officials in various ways when the county is on lockdown from the state and they have virtually no evidence of um, of the disease that is in their, their area. So that's part of the frustration that I think some of these folks uh, experience.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting that this is, I was just in a meeting this morning with uh, a couple members of our county health public health department, So, this is expri- ex- frustration they have. Public health, you tend not to notice it when, when things are going well. Um, and then when precautions are put in place and they're actually successful, people say, well, they weren't necessary. And, and like, this is maybe one of the things we're seeing going on in, in places, I think, in, in our county where we've had uh, relatively few cases compared to the rest of the state. Uh, people start to question: Is is the whole response overblown? Is and is the sacrifice worth the cost?
1: And and you and I are philosophers. You and I, we know that there's an a, there's an um, epistemological conundrum here, right? I mean, if you if you act uh, and nothing happens, did um, was it your action that kept nothing from happening, or was the action not necessary because there was nothing there? I mean, there's going to be a lack of evidence to prove. Um you know the efficacy of the action there, uh, both now and in the future, when we look back on this and and there'll be very different narratives that people will tell as they they talk about how we responded to this now, I have a son who who lives in New York City and um you know we we want them to take every precaution that they possibly can take because of the the dangers that they are having here and I have an uh, uh Uh, elderly mother and young grandchildren in the area. And so we're taking uh, every precaution that we can take simply out of protecting both um, the elderly and, uh, and the very young. It's often said, though people at the middle take care of the people at the age at the edges. And um, so I'm perfectly willing to be inconvenienced by the wearing of masks in the grocery store and wherever else it is that I go in, including not going to to church, if we can um, help protect those people that are more vulnerable, that are parts of our community that we we have some interaction with.
0: Yeah, but again, then that's the the very language of the requirement takes the focus off of our our of our individual motivation to not only be helpful but to be con- really to be uh, solicitous of the health of our, of our neighbors and those who are most vulnerable.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, it's, it's very hard. I mean, uh, to accept some of this advice. I mean, this, this time of, um, uh, of separation occurred in preparation for, as you know, the most holy season in the Christian calendar. And, um, Uh, and maybe we were prepared for Lent to, uh, have some sacrifice here, but we certainly weren't prepared to give up on Easter. Uh, and that's what a lot of folks have had to do. And, and we've had to, to make sacrifices to, to be away from our, our family members and, uh, from people that we love and want to see. And, um, but I think those are, those are all reasonable things, uh, certainly here in this, um in the short run here, steps to make. The difficulty is going to be when do we know and when are we confident in the people who decide when it is and when not acceptable to go back to those things.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, a few minutes ago you had mentioned the the culture wars and that that some of these uh, both kind of acceptance of I guess, experts' opinions or advice, and then the reaction to it, and even something like mask wearing, whether one wears a mask or not, can be kind of a symbolic expression of where one stands in the culture wars. Uh, And for those of of the people that might be watching or or listening to this who are not really up on what the culture wars are, could you just explain a little bit uh, what you mean when you talk about the culture wars, what are they and what are the main markers of them right now? How long is this show? Well oh. yeah
1: you know the, 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 the culture wars um, are is a, a, a phrase that I think has um, uh, probably emerges as a term um, in the 90s, but typically it is uh, pushed back. Starting with the sixties, I guess, so maybe we've got um you know we've got more than half a century of um of of conflict in the in the briefest way of 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 identifying what we're talking about here it's this the sense between uh the more traditional aspects of our of our society and the more progressive aspects of our society and the ways in which one uh, organizes one's life and one thinks about these these kinds of matters so the part of the the problem that we have of, um, of an inability to, to communicate, to talk, to work out our social political problems are oftentimes thought to be uh, indicative of this conflict of cultures that we have. So, uh, um, and it, it goes, um, it, it goes into almost every area of our lives, right? So obviously our, our religious beliefs, uh, or what the nature of those religious beliefs would be, or whether one has religious beliefs at all, but certainly also political beliefs and, and the role of government and, uh, and in any number of, of issues that tumble out of those, those kinds of questions, right? So, um, questions of, of, of individual autonomy, right? guns, um, abortion, uh, school prayer. I mean, all of these things can be uh, markers in um, in a culture war clash in which people are asking, you know, what, where, where does my, um, my freedom to exercise my faith and my belief uh, bump up against others who would want to uh, suggest that this is not, um, uh, this is not appropriate. And it, it doesn't simply, it's not the case that one side is wanting to put limits on things and another side is wanting to open things up. The, the lines are blurry all the way around, right? So um, in, in certain moments, uh, progressive uh, portions of our society want certain things to be open and certain things to be closed, and more traditional elements want certain things to be open and certain things to be closed. So it's not that, that one side is, um, uh, is for tapping things down and one side is for opening things up. They, um, and, and, and a lot of it doesn't make sense, right? I mean, a lot of it, when you begin to, to delve into it, you realize that there are deep incoherences here. Um, if, um, you know, and, and the most obvious issue here, of course, is abortion. I mean, the, the abor- abortion represents a kind of great switcheroo in our culture on what you would expect things to be the case. It's typically the Republicans whose view is the government should stay out of my affairs and allow me to make whatever decisions I want to make. Um, if we were being consistent, the Republicans ought to be the ones in favor of um, uh, abortion uh, on demand. And the Democrats have traditionally held the view that government has the responsibility to protect what can't protect itself. Uh, and, um, and you would think, I mean, if, if Democrats are going to protect the spotted owl, they would be protecting the fetus, uh, as well. But this issue is more complicated and, um, uh, uh, but it does represent a, 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 a conflict, a switch in the kind of sensibilities. And those come principally because of the the role uh, on the abortion question specifically about the the character of of women's rights and women's right to self-determination. And that that the defense of the woman uh, as a vulnerable entity over the defense of the fetus was this kind of turning point there in the democratic uh, community for, for those, those matters. But that's a, that's a quick and dirty, uh, uh, very insufficient answer to what's, uh, what's involved there. But
0: so when we come to particular issues that kind of define the culture wars, the, the, the where the battle lines are drawn, um, like abortion and guns are two of them that stand out as being particular issues. But then there's also that broader question of um, on the one side on, on the right generally in the culture wars there's a greater appreciation for traditional forms of community in which certain values and especially value for the transcendent tend to be expressed whereas on the on the left or the more progressive side the the reforms are generally um, uh, justified by uh, the Protection or the advance of something fairly tangible, and that is uh, usually material well-being um, or the preservation of individual preferences of some sort.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and even I mean that's exactly right, Rick. Um, the the difficulty is how we define these terms. We we could we could switch that around, right? I mean, because there is something that's powerfully transcendent about a certain notion of self-determination um and um and individual liberty now are we talking about the the traditionalists or the progressives uh there and i'm trying not to use the word liberal and conservative because i i think those words are um they 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 get us in in all kinds of troubles here but um but both sides value and believe that they are protecting something that is transcendent that transcends our mere capacity um, and both sides are in fact uh, oftentimes um uh, very defensive of what they take to be the materiality of the human condition and the the, the material goods of what our our lives uh, should be so it's it's it it's very and and both sides have strong uh religious components um and both sides have uh components that um have had little or no, or maybe a utilitarian use for religious belief. So it's it's very difficult to to generalize in this way when we think about the communities. Now, if you're on one side or the other, uh, then um, it's not hard to generalize at all because it's a it's a them problem, and yeah. Uh, yeah. they don't they don't they don't believe this. They don't believe that. They don't do whatever. They want to take this away from me. They are intolerant about this or that or whatever it might be. So,
0: one final question. I mean, I'm, I'm raising questions that are pretty big that we could spend much more time on, on any of these, and I'm asking you to give pretty concise answers. But uh, just watching the debate of what's going on with in this conflict between religion and politics, it it makes me question um, once again the 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 notion of where the Christian worldview comes from. Because um, I think within Christianity, lots of times we say it's informed mainly by our theology. Or and and in some branches of Christianity I would say, well, it's it comes directly from the Bible or from personal experience, personal experience with God. Um, but it seems what's happening is more and more like that religious identity is shaping up to be mostly influenced by these traditional notions of group psychology and that I guess that leaves me in in somewhat of a despair I kind of wonder like what's happening to to my church when when um, we we don't seem to engage in real robust like theological discussions when it comes up to issues of like when should we reopen and how should we be conducting ourselves in times like this?
1: Yeah, I hear you, brother. Uh, I mean, it is—it's um, a—it's a real problem. There's some consolation in the fact that it's not a new problem, uh, and that um, um, you know, you go back and you 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 look at at the kind of conflicts um, that the church has engaged in throughout the whole of its history, and um, and there were, there were people who were wanting to say this is, this is a theological problem that's got to be solved, and others saying no, this is just a political problem that uh, has has got to be solved. Um, I, uh, um, I I teach in our great text program, which means I uh, I regularly teach Dante's Divine Comedy. Here you've got this is the great Christian poem of uh, uh, of uh, History of the Christian Church, um, and um, and it's it's a very political poem uh, because I mean Dante was a statesman and he was exiled from Florence, and part of the tensions are between these two political parties, the Guelphs and the Ghibellines, and one is is supporting in some way the Pope and one is supporting in some way the Holy Roman emperor. And, and you've got the theological divide that's right there. And this is at the beginning of the 14th century, 1300s. And the story moves on, right? I mean, the the whole question of the, of the reformation and the ways in which various countries and their, um, uh, their, their monarchs uh, took on these, these roles and, and how, you know a fair number of these um uh, uh these ecclesiastical hierarchies are overthrown is it a question of theology or is it a question of politics? They are absolutely inescapable uh and they and um and the goal here it seems to me for those of us who are christians is um is first of all to to be humble and to be uh, attentive to what's uh, to what's happening to to read scripture, to read scripture, uh, carefully, uh, in community, um, to, uh, to have these kinds of conversations, to be able to have frank conversations with people that we might disagree with on a host of, uh, of other issues and try as much as possible to identify where the, where the authorities are. I mean, is the authority for us what this text says, uh, is the authority really how I feel about the text or what I think, uh, might be the case is the authority what what my bishop or what uh, what the church uh, the church hierarchy or the ecumenical councils may have taught on these matters. I think that um, Christians who take the time to be attentive and and charitable have far more resources for beginning to address these kinds of questions than the fact that I see myself as. A conservative or a traditionalist, or I see myself as a, a liberal or a progressive, and therefore I'm going to latch on to some view that is commonly held outside the church as formative for what goes on inside the church. I I have for for lots of years um, uh, said that if you are if I mean I I I am pro life and I but I I think that means I have to be consistently pro-life, which means I am, in fact, opposed to abortion on demand. I'm also opposed to capital punishment. Um, I am for uh, a a kind of vigorous way of understanding how we can make immigration uh, safe and careful. I am for universal health care. All of these are, uh, are parts of a comprehensive life ethic. But having said all of that, I just zigzag back and forth across the Republican and Democratic lines here because they don't fit in with our uh, the stereotypes that our political parties uh, have. And I think that, that when, and here I've gone to preaching, I apologize, no. <laughs> um, that when as Christians we say that my identity as a Christian is what's most important, um, then I'm going to have to hold my identities or pledge my allegiance to these various political parties uh, lightly, uh, and um, and there will be times when I'm not uh, I'm not able to support the party platform on this point or that point because it seems principally to be serving an interest of um, of the political party's good uh, as opposed to that comprehensive vision. For what um, what we as Christians uh, hold, and uh, it's always complicated, and it will always be different given the political and social realities that that, uh, that we have. But our goal is to be is to be faithful, and uh, by being faithful, we have to be humble and uh, listen, pay attention, and learn from others. Well, thank you, Scott. I mean, that's I
0: think that's for me that's so useful. It's um, and as As we try to figure out what our identities are um, with within a broader culture and there there is this kind of incoherence i think a real deep incoherence in uh liberal and conservative views so such, such as really hard to understand what they are if 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 we try to give them any simple definition um, but one of the good things that's that's coming out today i think is that so many people are asking these kinds of questions. Like what is, what is my identity? And it can't be just a theoretical or hypothetical question because it gets expressed in the daily actions that I, that I'm taking right now. So, um, I don't know if we've answered any of those questions, but that's not, uh, philosophy isn't very good at answering questions. It's just good at asking more of them.
1: Well, and getting the conversation going and getting uh, people to, to take the time to, to think about these things and to talk with uh, with people and uh, to attend to them.
0: Okay. Well, thank you so much, Scott, and I hope that hope that you and your family are well.
1: And you too, Rick. And I just want to commend the good work that you do uh, and your center has done the marvelous conferences that you all have sponsored for so many years. And uh, uh, really, really, it's an extraordinary service to. Um, Lots of lots of people and lots of different communities. So thank you so much.
0: Well, I hope to get you back up here
1: uh,
0: in the near future.
1: Let's let's uh, let's quit the travel ban and start traveling again. That'd be good. <laughs> All right. Take care. All right. Blessings.